Welcome to Oak Ridge Bible Chapel. My name is Alice, and I'm one of the members of this church family. And we are so excited to have you join us today. So grab your Bible, your tablet, your notebook, pens, pencils, whatever it is that will help you engage most with today's sermon. And please enjoy our Sunday message. You may be familiar with that schoolyard game of kind of, you might call it floral prophecy, when someone takes a flower, usually a daisy, and plucks the petals one by one. She loves me, loves me not. She loves me, she loves me not. And their goal is to try to discern whether the object of their affections is reciprocating that affection or will reciprocate affection, right? It's kind of an exercise in, in powerlessness and hopefulness all at once. He loves me, loves me not. She loves me. She loves me not. Well, if you've walked with the Lord for any amount of time through seasons of life, perhaps there's times when you feel like that's your relationship with the Lord as well. He loves me. He loves me not. He protects me. He protects me not. He's with me. He's with me not. And as you look back over your life, it seems like you're plucking these flowers as you go. It can be a tiring, let's face it, and a frustrating and a fatigue-inducing back and forth as we go through life. Why can't it just be predictable? Why can't it just be static? Why does it have to go back and forth all the time? And maybe, just maybe, it's somewhat helpful to at least hear in a setting like this, hey, you're not alone. You're not the only one that's felt this back and forth. And in fact, as we'll see in Psalm 27, even David David, chosen by God to lead God's chosen people, that David, even David, he experienced this game of back and forth. You know, he, he experienced this shifting, this alternation between faith and fear, between declarations of praise for God and then petitions for help from God. God, I love you. You're so close to me. And then all of a sudden, God, where'd you go? Where are you in this time of my life? But we'll also see in this psalm that David actually knew how to win the game, in a sense, so to speak. How to, despite the circumstances of his life, he always plucked the last petal of the flower and declared with confidence, he loves me. Finally, he does love me. I know that for sure. And we want to learn how to do that too. Because the chaotic ups and downs of life, it's a problem we all face. We're all familiar with that tension, with that exhaustion, and Psalm 27, it illustrates this problem, but it also models the solution for us. Now, as you've arrived there, you can see the first six verses is a bit of a section all on its own. It begins with this strong declaration from David, a declaration of confidence as he plucks the first petal of the flower and he declares, God is with me, absolutely. Follow along as I read. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? When evildoers come upon me to devour my flesh, my adversaries and my enemies, they stumbled and fell. Though a host encamp against me, my heart will not fear. Though war arise against me, in spite of this, I shall be confident. One thing I've asked from the Lord that I shall seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will conceal me in his tabernacle. In the secret place of his tent, he will hide me. He will lift me up on a rock. 
And now my head will be lifted up above my enemies around me, and I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing, yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. I mean, if that's not a declaration of confidence, I don't know what is. David is walking closely with his God in these first six verses, there's no doubt. In fact, we could say that the Lord God, the covenant God of Israel, is also very clearly the personal God of David. It's his God. In verse 1, he says that Yahweh, the Lord God, God is my light, my salvation, and the defense of my life, or your translation may say, my stronghold, or my refuge. But you get the point. It's mine. He's mine. He belongs to me. For David, God has, is, and will illumine him and lead him, deliver, and protect him. And because of that, because this is his God, he has two rhetorical questions. Who shall I fear? Whom shall I dread? And the obvious and the anticipated answer to those questions is what? It's nobody. If that's my God, if he belongs to me, then honestly, who shall I fear? I can almost hear the psalmist, you know, singing that familiar chorus that we sometimes sing here. I know who goes before me. I know who stands beside. The God of angel armies, he is by my side. So what can the world do to me? That's the God who's with me, David says. The all-powerful God of the universe. He's with me. And then in verse 2, he looks back on his life and he finds proof. He finds evidence of this claim. Times when evil people had, had targeted him specifically. They had sought out to devour him. That's some pretty strong language. They'd come up against him. But he says that in the end, as he looks back, it was actually them that stumbled and fell. It was them that found their device, not me. They came after me, but they fell down. And so in verse 3, looking to the future, with that in mind, he says, even if armies bring war to my door, he says, my heart will not fear. Instead, I shall be confident. Why? Because the one who reigns forever, he is a friend of mine. The God of angel armies is always by my side. He's by our side as well, isn't he, brothers and sisters? This isn't just David saying, God's always with me. This is true of us as well, even here and now. doesn't matter what petal of the flower you've most recently plucked. Maybe you're here today and, and you are encouraged. You feel like you're with David here in these first six verses, or maybe not so much. doesn't change the truth that if you belong to God through Jesus Christ, that God is your God. He's your God. The God who holds the universe together. He also holds you in the palm of his hand. The Lord Jesus Christ, King of kings, Lord of lords, he died for your sins, my sins. The sin I committed this morning, the one I will do this afternoon, he died for those sins. This God of the universe, he is with us, he's among us, he's in us, he goes before us, and he works through us. We serve a very personal, personal God. And that's who David is extolling here. That's who he is celebrating. This God is also my God. Whom shall I fear? Now in this first section that we read together a moment ago, David really sets up the scenario of his life as he's being kind of alone. He's alone and surrounded in a battlefield, right? And the armies are coming up against him. And we might ask the question, well, what's he going to do? It's just one guy and these armies coming up against him. What's he going to do? And we'd say, well, what does a child do when they have a nightmare? Well, they get up and they run where? They run to the safety and warmth and comfort of a parent's bed. 
And that's what the psalmist does, really. In this first section, in verses 4 and 5, look again. He says that he wants to forever dwell in the house of the Lord. That's where he wants to be. So armies coming up against him, I want to be in the house of the Lord. To behold the beauty of the Lord. To meditate in his temple. To be concealed in his tabernacle. And to be hidden in his tent. His place. I want to be where God is. That's what I want to be. I want to run to his presence, his comfort, his warmth. The, the bed of my father, that's where I want to be because my life is a nightmare, he says. So I want to be with my God and I can be there because that's the God who's my God and he comes to my defense. No wonder he closes this section that we read, the end of verse 5, by saying he will lift me up on a rock that is out of harm's way. He will do that. And then in verse 6, and now my head will be lifted up above my enemies around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing, yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. See, outside, there's war. There's war, there's hardship, there's pain outside in his life, but inside, in God's presence, there's beauty and peace and joy and worship. David's life may be a nightmare, but his heavenly father's bed is safe and warm. And he declares, he plucks that pedal, and he says, God is with me. He's with me. Hallelujah. I don't know if you've ever had moments like David's describing here in your life. Moments of the, almost like a, a holy invincibility. You know, you're so close with the Lord, you just feel like, what, what could come against me? You know, maybe it was right after you got saved. And you feel this, this lightness of the forgiveness of the Lord wash over you. And there's this liberation from sin. And you're just, what could stand against me in this moment? Or maybe it's when you were baptized. And the, the joy that washes over you from walking in obedience to the Lord Maybe it's being used by the Lord. You were used to bless a brother or sister in Christ, or maybe you were used to, to bring someone to the Lord. If you've ever experienced that, and you just feel this wash of, of usefulness to him. You say, what can touch me? And it's so exciting, this, this holy, almost this holy invincibility. Almost like, like Paul says, to live is Christ, to die is gain, right? Those moments when what can the world do to me at this moment? They kill me, they hurt the body, they send me to be with the Lord. Okay, I'll really be in his presence then. Or they leave me here and I'll continue to serve and I'll walk in his presence. It doesn't really matter. I am untouchable in this world. Maybe you've experienced those before. They are sweet times, aren't they? We can call them those mountaintop times when we walk so close with the Lord and we say, and nothing formed against me shall stand. You, God, you hold the whole world in your hands, including me. Those are wonderful times in the Christian life when God's people, they pluck a pedal and they declare with confidence, he loves me. He's with me. I know it for sure he is with me. Unfortunately, there are more petals on the flower of life, aren't there? And as we keep reading, David picks the next one and he groans. He says, God is with me not. Look at verse, verse 7, 8 and 9. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice, and be gracious to me and answer me. When you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face, O Lord, I shall seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my help. Do not abandon me nor forsake me, O God of my salvation. What a swing from one side to another. It's dramatic, isn't it? From verses 1 through 6 to 7 through 9, it's, it's quite a change. David goes from, from God's beauty, right? Beholding God's beauty, he talked about, to now fearing God's anger. He goes from confidence in God's deliverance to fear of God's abandonment. Don't leave me, God. 
from being hidden in God's tent. Remember he said, you'll hide me, you'll conceal me in his tent. He goes from that to saying, God, don't hide yourself from me. And he goes from shouting for joy, using his voice to praise the Lord. He goes from that to using his voice to cry out in fear. If we didn't know better, if we hadn't experienced things like this, we might almost read this and say, these are two different people. This could not be the same person, but we all know that's not true. Because we've experienced this, haven't we? When you're walking on the mountaintop with the Lord, and then all of a sudden the mountain gives way to the valley of the shadow of death, and you say, what happened? How did I get here? Just, I feel like just yesterday I was, I was up in the Lord's presence, and now, Lord, where are you? We've experienced that. And so when David goes from one to the other, it's not that shocking, really. We can empathize. We can understand what he's saying. Now, we need to be cautious here and, and understand that and notice here that David is not running away from the faith. He's not abandoning the Lord here at all. In fact, even though his life has changed dramatically, it seems, and we don't really know the details, but even though that's true, he's still obeying, it says in verse 8. You know, God told him, hey, David, seek my face. What does David do? He says, oh, Lord, your face I shall seek. So David's still running after the Lord, even in spite of the, the insecurity of his life. He's still going after the Lord. It's just he, he's having trouble finding him like he didn't have trouble on the mountaintop. And he quickly adds to that request. He says, do not hide your face from me. God, I'll look for you, but if, if you don't make yourself findable, I will always be alone. God, you've got to show yourself to me or else I'll be clamoring after you forever. Don't hide your face from me. Now we have to ask here, albeit maybe a bit of speculation, but what caused this? Like, that's quite a shift from, God, I am invincible, to God, I am vulnerable. What has caused this shift? And I think verse 9 maybe gives us a bit of a hint that in David's life, sin was involved. He says, do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. Well, why would God turn away? Why would there ever be a rift between a God who is ever-present? Remember, when we're talking about God being distant from us, it's not because God has moved. It's because we have moved. We've put something between us and God. And what is that usually? It's usually sin. Perhaps here for David, past rebellion or current rebellion is kind of haunting him. And it's blocking his view of God. In fact, just a few Psalms before in Psalm 6, David says something very similar. In Psalm 6, he says, O Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger or chasten me, discipline me in your wrath. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am pining away. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are dismayed. Listen to how David describes the effects of sin and what it does from God. What does it bring from God? It brings his anger, his wrath, his chastening. It brings out his rebuke against David. And David knows that. And there's also a physical element according to this. He says, I'm pining away because of my sin. My bones are dismaying. And he says, Lord, be gracious to me. I don't deserve it. In my sin, I deserve your rebuke. I deserve your correction. I deserve all this. Be gracious to me. Please be gracious to me. And actually, back in Psalm 27, he says very similar things. Up in verse 7, he says, And be gracious to me and answer me, O Lord. Be gracious to me. As we saw in verse 9, Do not abandon me nor forsake me, O God of my salvation. When we as God's people today, when we experience that transition from the mountaintops to the valleys, there are many, many reasons that happens. 
Sometimes it's the sinfulness of the world around us. Sometimes it's the sinfulness of other people butting up against our lives. But we have to be honest and say, a lot of the time, it's our own sin. It's our own sin that's gotten in there and caused the descent into the darkness, into that loneliness. You know, there's just, as Josh was saying at the, the table a moment ago, if we are not recognizing our sinfulness, not, not moaning it and groaning it and all that kind of stuff, but recognizing I am still a sinner. And I need to bring that to the Lord for cleansing. I need to bring that to him for, for restoration. If I don't recognize that, that sin will build up like plaque on teeth and continue to build up until it blocks our view of God. And then we say, where are you, God? I can't see you. And God's saying, I was here the whole time, but you have put barrier after barrier after barrier between me and you. So sometimes, maybe like David, maybe like us sometimes, sometimes it's our own sin that causes that descent. Not always, but a lot of times it is. Now, whatever its cause here in Psalm 27, what's clear is that David moved from God is with me to God is with me not. That's where he's moved, just in this psalm. Now, as we come to verse 10, the psalmist quickly plucks another petal and declares with confidence again, God is with me. Look at verse 10. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me up. There's that word again, will. The Lord will take me up. This verse, it reminds me of someone drowning. That's what I picture here when I read this verse. David's like treading water in this sea of discouragement, and he's getting weary. It's been a long time. Enemies are coming up. He's treading water, and his face starts to dip under the surface. But with one last effort, he pushes his face above and gasps for breath and says, Lord, you are with me one final time. It's this, this quick little shout of confidence. See, he had just begged God not to forsake him, right? In verse 9, do not forsake me, Lord. And it's almost like hearing himself say that, that word, forsake. It reminds him, hang on a second. My mother and my father, they forsook me. The people closest to me, they forsook me. They left me, he says. But then David comes to his senses and he swims desperately to the surface and he gasps for air and he says, but Lord, you will not. I know you won't. And he declares it one more time out of the fog. He says, you will not depart from me. Everyone has sent me away, but God, but you will receive me to yourself. My enemies are pushing me down, but God, you will take me up. You're my God, after all. Remember? You're mine. You're the God who goes before me. You are my God. Whom shall I fear? Whom shall I dread? He says. But then the water again covers his head very quickly. Muting his confidence and highlighting his neediness, he goes from God is with me, God is with me not. He's with me, and then we come again to he's with me not. Verse 11 and 12. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me in a level path. Because of my foes, do not deliver me over to the desire of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me and such as breathe out violence. David just sees enemies in his life everywhere. For him, there are literal enemies at times in his life, right? Literal armies coming up against him, and he sees them everywhere. They're lying to him, and they're threatening him, and they're mounting deceptive and violent attacks against him, his reputation. So he prays. He calls out in desperation, asking him who is light, salvation, and refuge to teach him the road to walk and lead him down it. He says, not only, Lord, do you have to point me the way to go. I'm so lost in this fog. Not only do you have to point me the way to go, but I need you to go with me. Have you ever experienced that in life? The war is raging hot. 
Your head is spinning, waves crashing against you. You can't see God. God, where are you? And you're calling out to him. And you're like, I don't even know the next step to take in life. I don't even know what the next right thing to do is. I'm so lost. And you call him and say, God, you got to show me the path. And not only that, but when you show it to me, I'm going to need your help to even walk down it. I'm so needy. I'm so weary. That's where David is. I don't even know where to go. And even if you showed me, you're going to have to take me down it because I can't get there by myself. Finally, as this psalm ends though, David comes up to the last petal on the flower. After going back and forth a number of times already, the psalmist lands with a confidence-fueled declaration that indeed God is with him. In spite of all of that, okay, hang on a second, God is with me. He, He does love me. This is my God. Verse 13, I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Despite the ups and downs of life, the enemies and the discouragements, the frustrations and the victories and the back and forth and all of that, despite all of that in David's life, David says, I'm still confident of this one thing. There's not a lot I'm confident in at this point. I'm still, I still believe this one thing. I still know this one thing, and it's this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I will. I know that. Even though I don't know a whole lot else in this life, I know that for sure. In other words, God, you're going to deliver me. You're going to protect me. You're going to sustain me. You're going to walk with me so that I may enjoy the presence of the Lord, peacefully and safely dwelling in his house all the days of my life. He's my God after all. He's my God, and he is good. God is with me. One of the things I so appreciate about the Psalms is how they reflect real life, don't they? Like this is inspired scripture from God through his servant back to God. I'm saying, oh yeah, that's real life. That's real life right there. It's chaotic, isn't it? Life is chaotic. It's unpredictable. It's back and forth, back and forth, and we can all relate to that. We live in a sinful, sinful world filled with sinful, sinful people, including us. We kind of add to that, don't we? And because of all that, we experience the back and forth, back and forth that David here expressed in Psalm 27. But you know, as we've seen throughout this psalm, David also demonstrates the solution to the problem. I mean, it is a problem. Back and forth, chaotic, all that kind of stuff. But David says, there is a solution to this. There is an anchor for your soul. There is a a north star you can look at, and it is God's presence. That's all the way through this psalm. God's presence, God's presence, God's presence. Though his life was chaotic, as we scan back through the psalm, David says he desires to be in God's house. His temple, his tabernacle, his tent, Old Testament imagery, that's, that's where God's presence uniquely dwells. That's where I want to be. I want to be in his presence. I want to be right with him. I want to be as close to him as I possibly can without being consumed by a holy God. I just want to be right next to him in my father's bed. That's where I want to be. He wants to be where God is all the days of his life. And listen to the verbs that are used through this psalm. He says, I want to be with him all the days of my life, seeking him, dwelling with him, beholding him, meditating on him, sacrificing to him, extolling him, and singing to him. David wants, and David needs, and David is pursuing the presence of God. I just need to be with him. I need to be walking in his presence. I need to know that he is there. That's what I need. No matter what's going on in life, that's what I need. Why? Why does he need that? Because as we go through the psalm, because he knows that when he's there, when he's in God's presence, when he's walking with the Lord, God gives light 
and deliverance and refuge. No matter what's happening, no matter what petal of the flower he just plucked, whether he is in the depths or he's on the mountaintop, it doesn't matter what happens when he is in God's presence, but God conceals him, hides him, stabilizes him, helps him, teaches him, leads him, and preserves him. That's all in God's presence. The solution is God's presence. Being with God, walking with God, and abiding with God. And David has learned this. He's learned this, we could say the hard way, if you know David's life. He's learned that no matter what's happening in life, I just need to be with God. It doesn't make the the war go away. It's still raging out there, but it makes it endurable. I need to be with him. He's learned that. And so in verse 14, the final verse of the psalm, he turns to the congregation. He, He turns from first person to second person. From me, I, to you, your, in verse 14. And he says, you, you, the congregation, wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Yes, you wait for the Lord. I've learned this. I want you to know it too. Wait for the Lord. Now in English, you know, wait kind of, it, it doesn't have the same punch as in Hebrew. We kind of think, oh, you just twiddle your thumbs, you sit back and you endure God's inactivity, right? You're like, where is he? Oh, it doesn't really matter. I'll just wait for him. I don't have to do anything. That's not really what's being said here. What's being said here is watch for him. Wait for him with expectation. You know the God that goes before you. You know he's yours and look for him to come through. Find a refuge in him. Watch for him. Expect him. Anticipate him. That's what he's saying. So you all, he says, wait for the Lord in that way. That's where strength and courage comes from. Wait for the Lord. I say it again. Because life does what life does, right? We could go around this room and say, tell me what life's been like lately. We get a plethora of different stories of hardships, of heartaches, of of pains and aches and all of that stuff. And we would pool them together and we would commiserate. Life does what life does. We don't need to pretend that it's perfect. We need to understand and we're being taught in the school of life that we can't always control as much as we think we can control in life. David says here, your job is not to control that. Your job is to rely on God, to wait for him, to watch for him. That's what you can control. He says, yes, enemies will attack. They will come after you. Literal, figurative, spiritual, whatever the case, enemies will come. He points to the church and says, church, seek his face. That's your job. Go to him. Seek his face. When you want to shout, from the mountaintop, God, you're with me. I love you. You're, you're walking with me. Then run to him and tell him that to his face. Be in his presence. Or maybe you're on the other side and you're saying, Lord, where are you? Oh, where are I? I can't even feel your presence anymore. I remember the mountaintop vaguely. I feel like I haven't seen the sun in a while. In those times, swim desperately to the surface and gasp for air and say, God, I need your presence. I need you to shine on me again. I need to feel your presence. The solution to the chaos of life, brothers and sisters, is seeking the presence of he who is anything but chaos. He's the stabilizing effect. The solution to the unpredictability of life is to run to him who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He who does not change. That's where we go when life is unpredictable. The solution to the war that we're enduring is the house of the Prince of Peace. We go to his presence. We dwell in his presence. I need God's presence. You need God's presence. We, as a congregation, need God's presence. Now, that's a very Christian thing to say, right? Be in God's presence. Say, what does that mean? Isn't he everywhere? What does it mean to be in God's presence, to walk in fellowship with him? 
It is to abide in him, as John often says in 1 John in the Upper Room Discourse. It is to walk in sweet fellowship with the Lord. Listen, as we sang today, he will hold us. He is in us. You know, we, we cannot get closer in a, in a real sense to God, and yet we can walk in closer fellowship with God. That's what we're calling for here. So walk closely with God. And then the storms of life, you pluck one petal, you pluck another one, it doesn't matter because you, you know that that God is your God. You experience it. You're walking with him. So that's the call for us this week, even this week. No matter what stage you're at, no matter what part of the spectrum you are on, whether you are praising God on the mountaintops or enduring the valley of the shadow of death, our job is to seek his face, to be in his presence, to seek him in the assembly of God's people. We're told that he is in some way uniquely present when people gather together in his name. I don't really know how that's true. I just know that it is. That right now, he is uniquely here. I'm kind of preaching to the choir because you're here today. But do not neglect this, brothers and sisters. This is so important. In fact, I don't know. Maybe you can prove me wrong. I have never, ever met, ever met a mature Christian who neglects this. Ever. This is essential because sometimes, let's face it, sometimes in the valley... I don't know enough to go seeking his face again. I'm so discouraged. I need someone to come along inside and say, seek his face. You know, knock me upside the head and say, you know what to do. And they need to, to talk some sense into me. We need one another in that way. So we seek him here. We seek him in prayer, obviously. I don't know about you. Maybe this is just confession time. But isn't it true when busyness happens, the first thing to get squeezed out oftentimes is prayer? Okay, it's just me? I'm sorry. Well, if that, you know, oftentimes when, when time crunches come in or hardship happens, one of the first things to go is prayer. I don't think that's a coincidence. You know, I think the enemy is working overtime to stop us from communicating with our God. Seek his face in prayer. Talk to the Lord, the one who loves you. Talk to him. Bury your soul to him like David often did. Seek his face in prayer. And then seek his voice in the word of God where he speaks to us. Do not neglect this word. It protects us. It sustains us. It is bread. We need to be in the word. We are seeking his face in his word. We seek him in setting our minds on things above rather than things below. At the end of the day, in many ways, the Christian life is a war for the mind. It's a war for right here. What am I putting in? Am I putting things into my mind that keep me away from the Lord, that block my view of him, that send me down the mountainside? Or am I putting things in my mind that counteract everything going on out there that lift me up into his presence? Something worth considering. Lord, show me. Are there ways that I am, that the gates of my mind are vulnerable? That they are letting in enemies? Lord, help me. I need to seek your face because I don't know when the next valley is coming. I just climbed out of the last one. I need you to help me guard my mind. Seek him in the beauty of his creation. Well, maybe not today so much, but most days, right? When it's not snowstorming. But creation is God proclaiming his handiwork, isn't it? Walk outside and say, Lord, how powerful, how creative you are. Look what you made. You are majestic and you are powerful and you are my God, my creator, my sustainer. You made all of this and hold it together. I'm going to seek your face there. Seek him in the warmth of Christian fellowship. I hope that this is not the only time you're around Christians on Sunday morning for an hour. I hope that through the week you're spending time with brothers and sisters in Christ, eating, playing games, laughing, whatever the case may be, being around like-minded people that can bolster your faith, encourage one another, seek that out. Seek his face in the fellowship of believers. We seek his presence in repentance of sin. We've talked about that already. Keep short accounts. 
with the Lord. Go to him often, Lord, I did it again. I did it again. And you know what the amazing thing is? He, he's not like us. Praise God for that. He's not like us in that, okay, I'm sick of hearing the same apology over and over again. You know, from people, you're like, okay, do something about it then, right? If someone keeps apologizing for the same thing, you say, listen, come to me when you've changed something. God's not like that. He says, keep coming to me. Keep coming to me. I never grow weary. Come to me again. And you say, God, I did it again. The same thing, like a dog to its vomit. I went back to the same thing. He says, I cleanse you, my son. I cleanse you, my daughter. I restore fellowship. Keep short accounts with the Lord. That's how we seek his face and, and remove that plaque that builds up between us and our God. We seek him in obedience and submission to his commands and his will. Listen, God has spoken. It pushes up against our culture. It pushes up against my flesh. It's up to me to lay myself bare before him and say, Lord, whatever you say, you know best. Show me the way. Help me walk in it. That's how I'm going to walk in your presence. Seek him in service to his people. There are many ways. Again, we're just reminding each other of these things today. The bottom line is this. This is the solution. The problem is chaotic life. Back and forth, back and forth, even as Christians— Amen? Even as Christians, we, we go through the valley. We come up to the mountaintop. We go through the valley and say, Lord, I'm just tired. I just want to walk with you perfectly. <laughs> and the Lord says, that's not going to happen this side of glory. Sorry. You're too sinful. The world's too sinful. But you know what you can do? Seek my face. No matter where you are in life, come before me. Come before me. Seek who I am. Walk with me. Abide with me. And we'll get through this. We'll get through this. That's how you pluck the last petal and say, he loves me. He loves me. He protects me. He comforts me. He is my God. No matter what's happening in my life, he is my God. We seek his presence. Let's pray together this psalm. Please bow with me. Psalm 27. Our God in heaven, we proclaim together today that you are our light and our salvation. And because of that, there is nothing to fear ever And we say it again, you are our stronghold, the defense of our lives. You protect us. There is no one and no thing that can cause us to dread. Even when bad things happen to us, when we are bullied and abused, ignored and attacked by those who oppose you, we trust that it is them who will fall. It's them who will stumble. Even if armies surround us, even if disaster is on our doorstep, we trust in you and you alone, our God and our king. One thing we ask of you, our Lord, let us live in your presence all the days of our lives. Let us gaze deeply at your beauty. We are confident that in times of trouble, you will protect us. You will hide us. You will guard us. So we will praise you. We will worship you. We will sing songs of joy to your name. Hear us when we pray. Don't hide your face from us, our God. Help us to seek you. Help us to walk in ways worthy of you. Even if those we love most in this world, they leave us, we know that you never will. Teach us, Lord, to obey you with all submissiveness. Lead us along your straight and narrow path. Even when others tell lies about us, we know we can trust in your kindness and in your love. We know we can find your goodness and your mercy here in the land of the living. We thank you for these, your words of counsel that you spoke through David so many years ago. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. We thank you for this promise. We proclaim that we will trust in you, Father. May we be courageous as your spirit gives us strength. Through Jesus, our Savior, your Son, we ask these things. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, amen.
Thank you so much for joining us today. For more sermons and other resources, you can visit our website at oakwitchbiblechapel.org. To listen to our weekly podcast, Word Processing, you can go to Spotify or Apple Podcasts or any other podcasting platform. Remember, you can always join us in person or on our live stream at 10.30 a.m. on Sundays. Thanks for watching.